Michelle. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 202. I'm very excited. <laughs> you kind of sounded like proper 202. I don't know. I don't think anybody's ever described me that way. Never. I know. Uh, but you know who else is proper? These segues. Well, Patreoners. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rena F. from California. Sarah R. from, we don't know, we need your address, girl. Kelly A. from the same place. <laughs> we, we don't know. Address. Yeah, Kelly, send in your address. Janice N. from A.E., which is like military, question mark. Megan D. from Illinois. And Christy C. from Alabama. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. And if we don't have your address, you can't get your letter with your stickers. So make sure we get your address. And if you want a letter with stickers, an episode shout out, and basically an episode a week extra, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Woo woo. Well, that was happy news. I do have some sad news. Uh, Saturday, this past Saturday, my dad passed away. So if y'all know, I have been taking care of him since my mom died. But since February of last year, he's lived with me like in my house. Um, and, uh, sadly he was just suffering so much at the end and Saturday he took his last breath, but thank y'all so much to the people who have reached out and everything. Like it means so much to me. And this podcast is more than I have like more than I could have ever thought it could be. Yeah, y'all truly are family and how you've like rallied and helped us and Donna especially and it's just been freaking amazing. Yes. And thank you, Carrie, for being there for me and Tiffany. All of them, like I couldn't do it without them. Well, we know that he is in the wild blue yonder whipping everybody's ass at Domino's. Definitely. Uh, Tiffany said that my mom and Lori, my sister, met him and said, right this way to the roulette table, sir. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I pictured it on the Titanic. Like how, you know, like they're yes. coming up the thing. <laughs> well, they're already dead. I don't know why you're trying to put them on a sinking <laughs> ship. Y'all, I have finally jumped on the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City train and am I glad I'm aboard? Really? Girl. Drama. And like most of them are or were Mormon. And so it's just like how they've transitioned to either being out of the church or still in the church. And like one of them that's still Mormon owns a tequila company or vodka company. I think tequila. Anyway, owns a liquor company. And Mormons aren't allowed to yeah, drink. Yeah, I was about you to know? say like, what? Because did you know that on the OC, The Real Housewives, Emily's husband is Mormon. Yeah. Show yeah. did. The Housewives is one of few shows that I like watch, you know? Yeah. I usually have to binge it to catch it up. But like if I'm going to sit down and watch something, it's going to be that. So of course I know all about her husband. <laughs> did I know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what else I know? What? That this fucking skin on my face Need some help. Well, yeah, because you've been doing it with soap. I never, never. I mean, I thought it was working for me. And then I fucking turned 35. <laughs> for real, these last few days, my rosacea on my skin has been awful. I've been breaking out on my face. I mean, just look at me. I literally have like <laughs> 17 cents right now. <laughs> I need some help. Yes. Well, I did ask if you had vampire marks on your thing because uh, you were a broken out girl. Also, though, wearing a mask, you get, what did you call it? Maskne. Yes. Well, thank God, y'all. We have apostrophe here to save the day. <laughs> it's super, super easy to fixate on what's going on with your skin, the negative. But hey, Valentine's Day is coming up. Let's show ourselves some self-love. Yes. In all the ways. Okay, ma'am. But like, what's apostrophe? Look, this is actual prescription skin care. That you don't have to go to a dermatologist to get. Like, you don't have to go to their office. But you actually get to talk to a board-certified dermatologist. So this is what you do. You go online to apostrophe.com slash creep, and then you fill out this quiz... It asks you all the shit about your skin, and then you upload a picture. Oh, my pictures were a bad. And if they accepted those, they accept. Like, legitimately, I did it because I was doing it on the computer and not my phone. <laughs> I did it with the webcam, and it was, I looked like, I don't know, exactly what I need them to fix on my face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, can you help me with the rosacea? 
it's like to see the pictures that you don't doctor, you know, up like, oh, let me just put this filter on to hide the rosacea. You have to like, hey, this is my skin. I right. need your help. So you go on, you take the quiz, you have a phone call, which by the by, they had all the times available. Yes. So many, like I could do it before work. I literally was like on the phone call on the way to work. Don't talk on the phone and drive. <laughs> it was hands-free. Yeah, it really was. And talked to them like while I was on the way to work and was like, the dermatologist was like, hey, this is what you have going on. This is what, got, what I recommend. And I was like, sweet. Yeah, sign me up. So I'm still waiting on my good good to get here. But Donna has gotten hers. Yes, I have. Uh, because the most important person got theirs. Actually, it's because I need all the wrinkle help I can get. Well, look, Apostrophe specializes in acne help, though. So I'm getting the acne help. I'm getting the wrinkle help. I'm getting the rosacea help. I'm getting all the help I can get. And if you want all the help that you can get, head on over to apostrophe.com slash creep. That's apostrophe. A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creep. You get $15 off your first visit when you go to the slash creep part. Yeah, this code's only available to the listeners of this podcast, so uh, you better get the good good. Right, and like when you go to check out, just put it in, creep. Remember we were talking about you have to go through like the little sign up and then you talk to an actual professional that's only $5 if you use apostrophe.com slash creep. $5. $5. Yeah. And like she said, don't forget to use the promo creep. That's C-R-E-E-P when you go to apostrophe.com slash creep. Set it up with a dermatologist. Get your shit handled. Yes. Because again, February, love is in the air, but self-love is just as important. Well, y'all, I am back and I can tell a story again. Woohoo! <laughs> no pressure, but it better be good. Oh, thank you. I love that you hate that, but the, you do it all the, the time. Yes. Uh, same, I know. But you do it all the time. But that, I was just doing it for No, I know, but you emphasis. do do it. Not intentional. Not intentional. <laughs> okay, glad you're telling the story right now. Mm. All right, picture it. Wyoming, 1932. It was October, and two amateur gold prospectors named Cecil Maine and Fred Carr were doing their thing in the San Pedro Mountains in Wyoming. Also, every time I hear prospectors or anything, I think of two things. The casino? Well, they all revolve around the casino, but one is... Where's the gold? Mm-hmm. That's my second favorite all-time slot machine. I know. And you always fucking win on it. And I'm like, <laughs> Donna wins on this. Let me try it. I love it. Nope. Never fucking win. Love it. However, the second one was when I was young and I couldn't gamble, uh, but my parents did. And they would take me and my brother to Boomtown Casino, shout out. And they had this like 3D motion ride kind of thing. And uh, it was like the first interactive thing. You would sit in a pod and there was one that was a gold mine. And so like when you started it, it was this old like prospector telling you, you know, about the thing. But oh my God, me and my brother got like armbands. Well, we got them quote for free, but you know, my parents paid a pretty penny for them in uh, gambling. But we would just loop around and ride that because there were like five different rides every single time and oh i loved it so much um well you know what i think of i think of the bad guy from toy story 2 the prospector oh who had never been out of his thing but yeah. had actually was out of his thing yeah that bastard <laughs> that says so much about our personalities I've, my first thought was the casino <laughs> was your game Okay, so they were doing their thing. They found a large veining, like a large vein of gold in a boulder. So they were like, uh, how do we get this out of this rock? Well, remember that guy who was mummified and he was a terrible bank robber? His name was Elmer and he loved dynamite, but he was like terrible with it. Well, these two prospectors were the same as Elmer. They thought, uh, duh, let's make this boulder smaller and we can get all of that gold veining out easier. Well, like Elmer, these two did not have the proper amount, like way too much, or the technique or something because boom went the dynamite and so did all the rock and destroyed 
that gold. Oh, shit. But just when they were about to abort the mission, they noticed something that had been hidden before. It was a small cave opening. They, of course, went to explore to see if they could salvage this trip, and they found themselves in a small, dark cave. It was around four feet tall and four feet wide, but pretty long at 15 feet deep. They didn't find any gold in the cave, but they saw this little statue that was on like a hollowed out part of the cave, kind of like a rock shelf DIY project. It was a statue that looked kind of like a human, but the head was smashed flat. And it was about like six and a half inches in a seated position. So if it were to stand up, it would be around 17 inches tall. It looked mummified, like dried out, darkened skin. And something freaky to note, you could see the fingernails on the hands that were wrapped around the body of the statue. Like it was a very well-preserved mummy. And just like picture an old man statue that has like a flattened head and a scowl, Mm -hmm. and that's what this looks like. I can't get past the fingernails. Right? Well, Cecil and Frank examined the mummified statue, but ultimately left it there. After a few days, though, Cecil eventually returned to the cave alone and decided he would make a profit off of the statue. Now, and I'm not sure if in those days that passed, they learned this, but that cave was a sacred Native American burial site. Oh, God. And I want to say they learned this, and that's probably why he thought, oh, this could be something good to try to sell, but I don't know. And the reason I say this is because some of the local tribes had told their beliefs about a race of cryptids, basically. They called them the Little People or Nima Rigars. And I am so sorry if I am butchering that, but it translates to people eaters. And it's not the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple kind. These supposedly lived in Wind River and the Pedro Mountain area of Wyoming. They were small in stature, but they were aggressive AF. They ranged from a little smaller than 20 inches tall to three feet tall. And in the tales of these little people, they were powerful in multiple ways. They were healers. They had other magical powers. And also, like I mentioned before, they were aggressive and would like they would stand their ground. They would attack people with poisoned arrows and spears. And there's a story from an elder Shoshone man named Morningstar Moses Weed. And when he tells it, it shows just how aggressive they can be. He said that his father-in-law rode up a trail into the Wind River Mountains, which, you know, they're thought to live there. His father-in-law was going to check in on his cattle. Well, one of those little people appeared and he was like smaller than knee height. He was like what you think of when you think of like a grumpy billy goat gruff or whatever it is. He told the father-in-law that the trail belonged to him and it was to be no longer used by anyone else. But remember, the father-in-law had cattle, so he continued on to get them. Well, he should have heeded the warning because just as he was going up the trail, he was hit in the arm by a poisoned arrow. Uh And from that day on, his arm was no longer functional. Like, it paralyzed him. The same elder that said that said that there were other stories, too, that it showed that they all weren't grumpy gusses, that they actually helped save Shoshone lives and helped them find their way back home. Another thing that kind of relates to this mummy that was found is that the Nima Regars were thought to kill off elderly in their community, those who were suffering from illness or just old age. And how they would do this is with a hard blow to their head. <gasps> and remember, that mummy had like a smashed head and like flattened kind of on top. Like that's what I mean by that. Well, the Crow and Shoshone tribe had heard tales of these little people for generations, but all the new settlers and prospectors who came just believed it was part of the tribe's folklore, and there was no concrete evidence to back up these stories until the statue was found. Well, back to Cecil, he just saw dollar signs when he looked at this mummy, and he didn't care about any other part of it. So he searched for a buyer and found one in an insurance salesman named Homer Sherrill. Cecil made $25 off of that 
weird statue, as he liked to call it. And Homer was determined to make triple that. And he decided to use the mummified statue that was affectionately named Pedro because it was found in the San Pedro Mountains. As a new feature in his sideshow attraction, he had the mummy in a tent that had a guard inside to make sure that it wasn't stolen, and the visitors would pay 25 cents to walk through and see the mummified statue. He billed it as the amazing six-inch mummy man, and on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, one of the patrons was interviewed. His name is Eugene Basher, And he was 10 when he saw the mummy. He said he remembered the tent and he had to beg his dad for the 25 cents. And he was kind of let down because people were kind of rushed through the exhibit. And I believe when my nephew was little, there was something like a mermaid woman who was at the county fair. And I think he went in and saw her. I didn't because that scared me. Like, I didn't know what it was. Like, I'm so scared of like jump scares and shit that I was like, that's going to be weird. And like, something's going to come get me like from that. Well, and you're also scared of like water stuff too. Yes. So like, yes. Oh, a mermaid, water. Yeah. Like if it had some dark water in there, I, uh-uh. There'd be a Donna-sized hole in the wall. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, but I remember him and my sister and they just basically walked in and you never got a chance to stop because I think like for the fin part and stuff, it was like holographic, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of shit. But so they're not going to let you stop and like take a closer look, but they just kind of had to keep walking, got a glimpse of it. And that was basically what Eugene had to do as well. He couldn't just stop and like really look at the details. But Homer did make his money because That mummy was a featured attraction for several years. And then in 1936, he sold the statue to an owner of a local drugstore in Matitsi, Wyoming. That was a question mark because I think that's how you say it. But, you know, eh. but it was on display there for several more years. And they even made postcards with Pedro on it and like people would buy that too like I mean they made some money off of this mummied statue then in the 1940s Ivan Goodman a used car salesman saw it at the store and he bought it for like a few thousand dollars like I couldn't find exactly one said like over a thousand and one said like three thousand so I don't know what it was and Ivan was the first to really want this like analyzed like is it just a statue or is it an actual person like is it a mummy because at this point like no one really knew well he took it to the Chicago Museum of Natural History they took photographs and x-rays of the statue well the x-rays showed that the statue was in fact a mummified human It had a complete skeleton inside, like you could see the vertebrae and a full set of teeth. So at first, people believed this was a full grown human who just happened to be only 17 inches tall. And so that folklore seemed to be more and more legit than anyone ever thought it could be. But the more analysis the museum did, they found that it wasn't a fully grown human. Instead, it was a baby, (gasps) like an infant. What? Yeah. Oh, God. And this baby was born with a rare genetic condition known as anencephaly, which is where the brain and the bones of the skull do not completely form when the baby's in the womb. Hmm. And this could be why the head was misshapen. But another thing about this condition, like the babies could kind of look like a full grown adult. And sadly, they are normally stillborn Mm. or they only are alive for a couple of hours. But there were other specialists who disagreed with that analysis because of the full set of teeth, because they said an infant would only have undeveloped teeth in the jaw and not like a full set. And side note about the teeth, they seem to be very pointy, like little like tiny daggers almost. And that is another thing that they said that the Nima Regars had. Like that was another characteristic. So it was like, oh my God, like what is going on? Another thing that the x-ray showed was that this mummified human seemed to have the remains of solid food in his stomach. Oh. 
So an infant, yeah, an infant wouldn't have solid foods. Like an hour old infant, there's no way. Also, these experts said that Pedro did not die from natural causes because his spine was damaged, collarbone broken, and the smashed head looked like it was from a blunt object. Well, okay, but the collarbone, if it was an infant, the collarbone could have been from a vaginal birth if, you know what I mean? Like sometimes that kind of stuff happens. And as far as the spine being damaged, it could have been a form of like spina bifida that they just didn't know about. True. Because like that's like the spinal cord can be like outside of the body. So it could, that could have been just like something that they didn't know of yet either. True. And then the head could have been depending on how they're positioned in the womb or whatever. Yeah. You know, sometimes babies have to wear helmets to like yeah. shake their head. So now the teeth thing, that ain't, that's weird. Right. Well, fast forward to October 1950 and Ivan was contacted by a curator of a New York museum named Dr. Leonard Wadler. Ivan was again, just seeing dollar signs. So he gave the mummy to the curator for him to do more testing because how they said it was like, this is a relative of the pygmies And like, that's how, like he sold it in his, well, he didn't sell it. He had it on display at his car dealership and stuff. And, you know, so it's like, this guy said, hey, I can see if that's really a relative of the pygmies in Africa and Asia. Let me do some tests and we can see. And so Ivan's like, cha-ching, cha-ching, if it really is, like, if I can say it's proven, Oh yeah, I can, you know, triple my money right now. So off the mummy went, but sadly, Ivan died from a stroke. And so the curator kept the mummy. My gosh. And to make matters worse, people believe that Ivan was swindled by this man because no one could find a Dr. Leonard Wadler who was a curator, etc. They believe he was just a con man. And that's kind of where the paper trail ends for Pedro the mummy. There was some chatter about the con man being in Florida and he had the mummy with him in 1975, but that's it. Okay, so remember I said the story was on Unsolved Mysteries. Well, a Native American couple, they were watching the show and they were like, huh, okay, reached out to the show because they had something like that in their attic that was like a family relic and it was also from the San Pedro Mountains. This mummy was a female though and she was nicknamed Chiquita. So she was in the same seated position as Pedro and same size everything. Same like flattened head and the only outward difference is that she had blonde instead of the wispy gray hair. And her mouth wasn't in a scowl, but more like in a big O, like a surprised kind of face. The shit that people keep. <laughs> well, they allowed them to run tests and everything on Chiquita. And they could tell that she was born sometime during the 1500s. And the DNA testing did prove that she was Native American. How the hell do they know how to do these tests? I don't know. Also, her cause of death seemed to be the same condition that experts believed Pedro suffered from, the anencephaly. Another update was found out too, that con man Wadler, he passed away in the 1980s in Florida and no one has seen the mummy again. Well, Chiquita was only available for testing for like three days because they didn't want to like ruin the mummy and all that. And because she was passed down from their great grandfather who had gotten her from like a sheep herder in the 1920s. Now, I will say that Unsolved Mysteries said that there's some kind of curse linked to Pedro because it seemed like everyone who owned the mummy died unexpectedly or had some really bad shit happen to them. And it sounds like kind of early in life, too. Yeah, but I really couldn't find anything that went more in depth about a curse. So that is it. But do you think that these mummies are proof of what, like, that folklore of the little people, you know, all of that, does that prove that they are there? Or do you believe that they were infants who had anencephaly and just happened to be preserved that way? But anencephaly is like one in like 10,000 births. So it just seems like, I don't know. And I mean, who knows? Because way back when, it might have been different and like was like, you know, more frequent. But I don't know. 
Okay. Once you ended and you started doing the, what do you think? Blah, 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 blah. Um, I started Googling. Uh-huh. The anencephaly. Did I say it wrong? No. But in the journal of cleft palate craniofacial, I found an article from 2004 from someone with the last name Miracolu, maybe? Anyway. Uh, and it said there was a case of a baby born with anencephaly that had a cleft palate and, like, teeth. Oh. So, but it said that just, like, because I'm just reading the abstract, um, it just said with incisor teeth. So, I don't think it would be, well, these like, had a whole. Ca- yeah. Well, and these have, like, really pronounced canine teeth. Yeah. But, so, I don't know. I mean. Yeah. It could be. I mean, if it's from, I mean, back in the day and, like, you know, you never know with, like, prenatal care and all the things like I mean it's possible that it's just unfortunately a baby I don't know so I'm gonna go with that since I just happened to stumble upon that article yeah that I'm gonna go with that do you know the baby's name no they don't put that in well I don't know because they could have been talking about one of these no they're not the article's from 2004 it doesn't mean that the baby was born in 2004 no duh it wouldn't be well that's what i'm saying they're not they're not going to put the name of the child in an article <laughs> or they're going to say baby a or true <laughs> they're going to make up a name who knows what it means but i'm just saying that it's not out of the realm of possibility for either of them true <laughs> what do you think it is i don't know i mean i want to say that it's proof that the cryptid kind of little people existed and because they were like revered they were buried in a certain way and all of that I don't I don't know I don't know either but also it was a Native American burial ground so I mean it could have just been an infant that they you know like it could have just been like that family's tomb or whatever you know I don't know or it could just been a an infant. I don't know, but I know one thing. If I were those prospectors and I came across that in a cave that I it was closed and then I opened it on accident, I damn sure wouldn't have taken it off of the shelf. Hell no. Like leave it be. Why are you touching stuff? That's why we're in this situation. Somebody opened something and that's what happened to this pandemic. <laughs> right. And I wanna say like all of that was around like when the mummy and like that movie and stuff mm-hmm. had like come out. So you know they were like, Oh, this is gonna be good. But also, did you not know that like that mummy was coming after them and stuff? I'm not touching anything. I would have been like, uh, newspaper, here, I found it, but I'm not going to touch it. But just give me credit, okay? Thank you. Do your own thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I am not going to touch it. Hell no. I mean, like, we jokingly talk about how, like, the pandemic is because somebody opened a portal to somewhere that started something. But, like, no, don't. No. I sent you that TikTok the other day where that person was, like, opening all these things that was, like, sealed and all of that. Yeah. And it's like, no, stop. What, like, what are you doing? Don't, th- it, it's, it's like that for a reason. Though I will say that Carrie removed the little baby shoes that you found in your house when you just moved in. Yeah, but that was, like, under the sink. That wasn't, like, <laughs> behind the wall. True. If it was, true. like, inside the wall, we'll just leave that right there. <laughs> that was just, like, under the sink weird because they didn't have kids i don't know what those were about i think people said it was like for protection of the home which is why it's now haunted in that hallway it's not (laughs) okay my story this week comes from another amazing creepster who recommended it and this is from Brittany b in the main facebook group so when they told me you know just me not you know everybody else because it was in the Facebook group they said that when they posted this at the time there were no podcasts or shows on the case that I'm doing and let me just say yeah I know (laughs) so this story is super freaking interesting so thank you so much Brittany B but again there really isn't that much like I know the meat and potatoes of the story but there's no good good at the beginning there's not a lot of like who this person is or their background or anything like that. But it has so many aspects of it that I was like, what? Yeah. So it's like a main course, no appetizer. No appetizer, no dessert. Just, again, going straight old school meat and potatoes. Ooh, I mean, who's mad about that? We know you love the meat. (laughs) Y'all like that bone, except for that's not the same, but you know. Okay, this is the story 
of Sherry Sue Hartman. Some stuff I saw says she went by Sherry Sue, but from what I understand, it was actually just Sherry. So we're going to call her Sherry throughout the rest of the story. Is this Phil Hartman's wife? No. Okay. Sherry was born on April 5th, 1985. So she's just a couple of days older than uh-huh. me. She was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So when this story happened, Sherry was just 17 years old. So there's a lot of names in this case. So I'm going to do my best to like put the pieces together for, you know, everybody, me included. You should have seen me like trying to organize my notes being like, okay, this is this and that is that. (laughs) So you had like a legit murder board going on. Basically. So this is what we know about this case. And again, we're jumping right in because there's not a lot. I know that Sherry has a mom named Connie and I know that her dad had passed before from what unsure But again, we're just jumping right in. So 17-year-old Sherry was the topic of conversation one night with five friends who were hanging out drinking. So here's where it's a lot of names. So there was Rianne Kelly and her boyfriend, Christopher Havis, Rianne's best friend, Christine Johnson, and her boyfriend, Ronrico Hatch, and then rounding out the group was Brett Marks. So they're all hanging out, drinking tequila, you know, shooting the shit, all the things. And Sherry's name comes up. So Sherry was a friend of the group, but let's just say this group has a bit of a sordid past, all of them. Some of them even had some run-ins with the law. And they just, like, it was like they were frenemies almost. Like they didn't get along, but they hung out, if that makes any sense. Yeah, everybody's like, yes, I know what a fucking frenemy is. So about a week before, all the friends were hanging out, some shit had gone down. Word on the street was that at this party, Sherry had allegedly made some racial comments. Like, this guy had done something, and she said some fucking bullshit to him, allegedly, that um, Ronrico heard her say. And this party was at Ronrico's house. And Ronrico is a person of color. And he was like, that's fucking bullshit. You don't fucking say that, especially in front of me, especially at my fucking house. And like whopped her on the head and was like, get the fuck out. With what? I think his hand. I saw like this um, kind of like a Reddit, but I don't think it was actually. His, I mean, it wasn't a Reddit, but it was kind of like that setup. Uh-huh. And it was the roommate saying like stuff that had happened. And I felt like they were kind of downplaying it a little bit to be like, that he just kind of like whopped her on the head, like not like hit her, but she's not little bunny foo-foo. Right. So he made her leave. Ronrico made Sherry leave. And when she left and went home, she actually called the police to report it. So that's why I think that it was not just a little like bop. Yeah. It wasn't like a, Hey, don't say that. It was like, I think he actually hit her pretty hard. Both in the wrong. Both in the wrong. Well, violence isn't the answer. Right. Ever. So it's right. like, even even if she said shit she shouldn't say, don't fucking say those right. things. Right. Tell her, go home. Yeah, don't hit her. Because violence is never the answer. Yes. So there was some kind of bad blood, because again, she had called the police. And then that night that they were all hanging out on August 19th, 2002. My mom's birthday. Brett, Brett Marks, who was there, he told everybody, yeah, Also, Sherry said she was going to shoot up this house that Ronrico lived in with Christine, his girlfriend, and their baby. They had like a, like a, like a, I think it was like a four month old baby, like a little bitty baby. Oh, so they lived with Ronrico. Christine and the baby lived with Ronrico and, um, yeah, and a roommate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I thought you meant. She was going to shoot up the house with... And oh, like, yeah, yeah. Sorry. You know I tow. say shit weird. Yeah, I was like, wait, 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 wait. No, she wasn't... Yeah. You she brought was, a baby to a <laughs> shootout? <laughs> no Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> but wow. Wow. But again, that came from Brett, and there's no other proof to say that yeah. Sherry actually said that. So there was a lot of tension and animosity. Yes. And then, I don't know where this information came from, but they said that Sherry had been flirting with Christopher, Christopher Havis, who was... Rianne's boyfriend. Exactly. How you do that? <laughs> I would be like, can you draw me a tree, please? Like, I need a, like a Venn diagram of some sort, something. <laughs> Even though a Venn diagram would not do this, but you get the point. <laughs> so when Rianne found out that she had been flirting with Christopher, she was pissed and was like, fuck this. 
because they had been together for two years. But there was a point in their relationship where he did, in fact, have an affair with Sherry. Oh, my God. Now, this is all coming from that roommate. So, yeah, that part, take it with a grain of salt because... That's just what the, the story is. Because, again, there's not, like, for this kind of background information, you have to go to, like, essentially a subreddit of people just, like, typing stuff yeah. in. Because there's not a lot of actual, like, news stories. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, though. Like, you see it. I mean, this is horrible to say. But, like, on TV where the people are together because they just kind of go together. But they are frenemies. Yeah. And so-and-so, like so-and-so, they break up because they break up a lot or whatever. And they were on a break. And then, you know, that happened. Like, it, I mean, hello. Yeah. Like, if y'all watch Euphoria on the first episode of this new season, that, like, legit happens where so-and-so and so-and-so bro- have broken up. But then the guy is driving the girl to a party. They're best friends. Like, the girl he's driving and his ex-girlfriend they hook up and then like she's like freaking out because she just had sex with her best friend's ex-boyfriend and you know people get back together and then it's awkward and then you know what I mean so like I can totally see that happening and if it's like your boyfriends are friends and so you just happen to kind of be there you know it's like yeah yeah you know anyway so Sherry had a job at Arby's and she was working the night that all these people were taking tequila shots (laughs) What's their tagline? We got the beef. Or no, we got the meats. Yeah. The where's the beef is Wendy's. <laughs> Wendy's. <laughs> so Rianne calls Arby's and is talking to the manager and is like, hey, what time does Sherry get off of work? And the manager's like, I can't fucking tell you that. Oh, uh, what? Well, I'm assuming they did, but they like legitimately didn't tell. So I'm assuming they were like, um, I'm not going to fucking tell you that. So Brett takes the phone and talks to Sherry. And it's like, hey, you know, what time are you getting off? And she says that her shift ends at 11. She's like, I'll be off at 11, blah, blah, blah. So after they know what time Sherry's getting off work, they concocted a plan. They were going to essentially kidnap her, take her to a secluded area, beat her up, and then make her walk home naked. Oh, my God. So that was the plan to completely humiliate her. But they were like, actually, let's not do it at the Arby's parking lot because cops are there. So we're going to wait until she gets home. So they had enough wherewithal, I don't know if that's right, but planning to be like, you know, let's actually not go there because, you know, they have late hours and so they have cops there. So let's actually just wait till she goes home. So the group, y'all gets together and they leave and they go wait at Sherry's house for her to get off work. They all climb in Rianne's blue Chevy Corsica. When the whole gang gets over to Sherry's house, the guys stay in the car. Not right there. Like, they kind of parked a little bit away. And Rianne and Christine go and wait in the bushes. When Sherry gets home, she parks her car. She's starting to walk inside her house when Rianne and Christine stop her. And they are being like, what the fuck? I heard you were flirting with Christopher and Sherry's like, what? No, I haven't. Like, what are you talking about? I didn't flirt with him, you know, defending herself and being like, no, I did not do this. When Rianne punches Sherry in the face, as soon as Rianne punches her, Sherry falls to the ground. At this point, Rianne and Christine continue while Sherry's on the ground, punching her, kicking her, and she is pleading with her life like please stop I didn't do this stop you know stop she can't fight them off because it's two against one she's on the ground that sounds horrible well at this point the three stooges Christopher Ronrico and Brett they pull up to the house in Rianne's car Ronrico pulls Sherry in the back seat so Christopher's driving Rianne's in the front passenger seat Ronrico, Brett, and Christine are on the back seat, and they have Sherry, like, laying across them. And here's the thing. There was a neighbor that saw all of this. Oh, my gosh. In that fake Reddit thing that I was telling you about, I did see that people were like, this is fucking bullshit. There were neighbors, like, outside on their porch that saw this, and nobody intervened. Now, I don't know how true that is, because, again, it was on this, like, people just typing thing. It wasn't, like, a reputable source. It was just people saying, like, no, this is my inside information about what happened. Because they're like, all these people are essentially teenagers. I think that, like, 
early 20s to 17. You know, let's just say like 23 to 17. You know, they're all kind of in that. You can't tell me that a couple of adults couldn't have stopped this. Right. Again, this is what they're writing. I have no proof of this. But one of the neighbors did call police. They said that there was a teen that had been attacked outside of her house on the 1900 block of Sinclair Street. And they said that two men threw Sherry to the ground, beat her up, and then put her in the Corsica, where another man was in the car. So I don't know if they just thought that Rianne and Christine were men. I don't know if they just assumed. I don't know if maybe they couldn't get a good enough look. And they thought that there was only three people when, in fact, there was actually five there. So police come to the scene, and when they get there, they find Sherry's keys in the street with a pool of vomit next to her car. Oh, my gosh. So, I'm just assuming that maybe they had beaten her, kicked her in the stomach yeah. and stuff so much that she threw up. Did she live with her parents or anything? I don't know. Okay. So, from there, the group decides that they're going to drive about 20 minutes away to this secluded, deserted field. While they're on their way there, the girls continue just berating Sherry the whole time. I'm sure telling her how terrible she is and, you know, can you imagine the things that they're saying to her? While this is happening, the people in the back seat completely strip her of everything that she owns. They take her shirt, her shoes, her pants, like she was still in her work uniform. Take her socks, underwear, her watch off. And at this point, Ron Rico lit a cigarette and is like holding it. He didn't put it on her body. It says that he just held it close to her naked body while Sherry is literally crying and begging them not to hurt her. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine being in that car for 20 whole minutes? No. One, if you're just a passenger, can you imagine hearing someone be tortured for 20 minutes? No. Like, how did nobody just snap out of this and go, we've gone too far? Right? Like, uh, oh. And then and then to be Sherry and to be literally naked, terrified. Somebody is, like, threatening to burn you with a cigarette. You know, you know these people are out for blood with you. Like, they, they have issues with you. Y'all have had beef forever. You know, it's just like, can you imagine how terrified she was? No, no. Also, she must have been... A small pizza because ain't no one getting my leggings down without my help. (laughs) If I'm laying on your lap, please. Awful. Yeah, I know. I'm focusing on the wrong thing, but I'm like, a shirt, yeah, you can get off, but the everything else, you're gonna have to cut that off of me. If I if I'm not helping you, uh uh. So when they get to the field, everybody gets out of the car, they force Sherry out, and she just has to stand there naked in front of the girls while Rianne and Christine beat her up again. Oh my gosh. And again, she falls down. They're kicking her and beating her up. And Rianne asks her if she would date a fat man or an ugly man, which I'm like, what? Okay. And Sherry's like, I'll do anything you want me to do if you leave me alone. <laughs> like, if you quit beating me up, I will literally do anything you want. You know, yeah. Her, she's just like, just just stop. Like, yes. what do you want me to do? You want me to date? Who do you want me to date? What do you want me to do? Yeah, she's pleading. She's bargaining. She's doing everything she can to stay, stay alive. So, Christopher comes up to Sherry with a handgun, <gasps> puts it in Sherry's mouth. Uh-uh. Where I- did this come from? That was not in the whole... I know. Thing? Well, and I'm sure at this point when he's got the gun in her mouth, they're continuing to berate her and yell at her and all the things. Well, then Ronrico comes up, gets the gun from Christopher, makes Sherry kneel down on the ground, puts the gun in her mouth, and he pulls the trigger. (gasps) No! And Sherry dies of a single gunshot wound to the head through her mouth. That's so, oh my gosh. So after she's died, they're walking back to the car and Rianne asks Ronrico if he had shot Sherry, quote, execution style. Oh my gosh. Like a flippant kind of remark. Like almost like, so was that execution style? That's exactly what I was thinking. Like that's how it is. And it's like, one, not the time, but two, like, like it just it's just so ick it's just so like you're disgusting yes like it's almost like she's thinking okay so when I tell this story Uh it's gonna sound way like I'm way more badass if I tell him we shot our execution style so hey was that actually execution style because I'm just trying to get my story for later right like fuck you fuck you yeah so then they decide that they need to cover up the evidence so they all go to the gas station 
and Rianne fills up her car with gas and buys a gas can, fills the gas can up, and then buys everyone soft drinks and snacks. Wow. So when they get back to the field from there, Rianne and Christine are trying to kind of clean up the area, like looking for all of her stuff, like her shoes out there, you know, just like trying to find all of her personal belongings so that they can get rid of all the evidence. Uh While they're doing that, Christopher and Ronrico pour gasoline on Sherry and light her body on fire. Sorry, but you know what? The more I'm thinking about this, the more I really feel like Sherry wasn't in the wrong on anything because the two people that she had like quote unquote beef with like that had the ammunition to say oh she said something racist to me and then also like hey I didn't hook up with her I didn't flirt with her those were the two that pulled the gun and then ultimately killed her so it's like she can't tell the truth anymore yeah because they incited this whole like mob mentality yeah so once they had poured the gasoline on her and I I, like I hate saying it but lit her on fire Ron Rico urinated on her (gasps) no so I don't know if they just like hung out there for a little while or while they're like they left her burning, but they eventually left and went to Auburn, Indiana because Rianne had a friend there who owed her some money. So when they go to this friend's house who owes the money, Rianne talks to her on the porch and she's like, hey, can I use the bathroom? Well, the friend's like, your shoes are fucking muddy as shit. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah. don't come to my house with these muddy shoes. And Rianne says that her shoes are muddy because the car got stuck in a ditch, which we know that is not the case. Yeah. So then when they left that friend's house, then they go to Detroit. On the way there, they stop at a gas station in Angola, Indiana. And there, Ronrico had Sherry's underwear. And they lit Sherry's underwear on fire at this gas station, which is the dumbest shit what one of many of the dumbest fucking things that they do and the attendant working at that gas station called the police because hello they're lighting something on fire at a gas station right but of course they leave before the police get there so that night they all stayed at a hotel in detroit before they came back to indiana the next morning now what was in detroit why they wanted money to go to detroit all the things i don't know which is why i would love for somebody like a id to do this story because we could get so much more information i bet but anyway that next morning they come back now this is another area where i wish we had some more information about because somehow an amber alert was issued for Sherry. This is actually the first Amber Alert used in Indiana. Really? Yeah, because she is 17. Yeah. And there had been that police report that she had been beaten up outside her house. So I don't know, like, did that police report, like, automatically create the Amber Alert? Did her mom have to, like, report her missing? Like, I don't, I don't know. So I wish I knew more about that, you know? Yeah. But here's the thing. That Amber Alert, and there's there's a video on YouTube of Connie, her mom, talking about this Amber Alert, and she says that basically while the Amber Alert didn't work to bring her daughter back alive, it did help because there was an 18-wheeler driver who called 911 because after the Amber Alert, he says, hey, I see this car and matches the license plate number everything with the Amber Alert. And the 18-wheeler driver tells them exactly where they are. And the police are able to come and pull them over. And they're all arrested, like, on the side of the street. Wow. So her mom's talking about how, like, she supports the Amber Alert and how even though it didn't bring her daughter back alive because she was already dead, unfortunately, it helped capture these five way more quickly than I mean who knows how long it would have taken or where they would have ended up or what would have happened yeah if they had been together so long they turned on one another you know you never know what would have happened and because of the amber alert this trucker that was so like that was paying attention Mm -hmm. saw the car and was like no this is no this is not right yeah so they pulled him over and they found Sherry's watch in the glove compartment of the car 
And they found the gun in Brett's pants. So, like, he had it, like, in his pocket still. And then one article I found said that the gun was stolen. So, I don't know who they saw it from or anything like that. So, that's another piece of the story that's like, wait, well, whose gun was it? Who was it stolen from? Who stole it? Where did they steal it from? Like, all, you know, so there's still so many questions. Like, did they get it from someone? Like, did they buy it? Did they actually steal it? I don't know. So, they were all taken to the police station. And Christopher's the one who broke and actually led the police to Sherry's body. I mean, thank God. So, at the scene of the crime, they found tire tracks that matched Rianne's car. They found shoe prints for every single one of them dancing around that crime scene. So, they were able to place them all there. And again, they found the watch in Rianne's car. They found the gun on Brett. All the things. Well, at first, Rianne's like, I didn't have anything to do with this. And she's the only one that took it to trial. All of the other ones ended up confessing. So, she, of course, was convicted, and she later appealed, and one of the things that she was appealing on was the fact that she didn't get to testify in her own defense. Well, her court-appointed attorney was like, um, we didn't let her take the stand because she had a juvenile record, and her juvenile record was way too close to this. She had been convicted for beating up another girl and taking her somewhere and dropping her off. Oh, wow. So they were like, yeah, we didn't fucking let her take the stand because if she would have taken the stand, they could have asked her about her previous conviction. Yeah. So, uh, of course we didn't let her take the stand. And, like, she had some other bullshit, like, because she had um, a charge for robbery. Like, that was part of it. Because she was saying, we didn't take anything from her, like, to steal it. Like, we weren't, we didn't steal her watch to go pawn it or whatever. You know, like, she's like, we didn't rob her for that. But they're like, no, you took her clothes. Uh Uh-huh. Because she said in her trial, she's like, okay, yeah, I'm not denying the facts that we beat her up and we took her, stripped her naked because we were going to make her walk back naked to humiliate her. Well, the appeals thing is like, well, if you were going to do that, then you had no intention of giving her stuff back to her Mm -hmm. because you want. So the robbery is legit. Yes. Also, okay, you robbed her to not pawn it. So you're a sociopath that wanted to keep a like a what do you call it a A trophy yeah trophy so ronrico admitted to shooting her and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole brett marks pleaded guilty to robbery criminal gang activity and carrying a handgun without a license and he was sentenced to 35 years that was another piece of this is because they tried to say it was like to make it like a bigger sentence they um were trying to say it was like gang activity because there's a precedent if it's like five or more people oh. doing the same thing. Some stuff was saying you have to have some sort of like initiation symbols, colors, like that kind of thing. But so that was kind of another thing with her appeals. But Rianne, like I said, was found guilty and was sentenced to, I think it was initially 75 years. And then with this appeal, it got knocked down to 69 years. Christine Johnson was sentenced to 25 years in prison after pleading guilty to robbery and criminal gang activity. That's not where this story ends, though. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, like, weeks before all this went down with Sherry, Christopher and Ron Rico basically did the same thing. What? Yeah, so on July 9th, 2002, Christopher and Ron Rico were hanging out with James Piot. So, they told him that they were going to go to Whitley County in Indiana to look for pot in this cornfield. So, the three had some beef about some marijuana money. And when they're walking through this cornfield, Ronrico fires a couple of different gunshots towards James. And then James shot Ronrico once. But James was actually fatally wounded and died. Oh my gosh. So Christopher left James's body in the cornfield and took Ronrico to the hospital where they said Ronrico had been shot by some unknown person in this park in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So then on July 10th, so the next day, Christopher and his brother took James's car and set it on fire. Then on July 11th, so the next day, Christopher and his brother went back to the cornfield because they weren't sure if James was actually dead. So they were going to kill him if he wasn't actually dead. Yeah. But when they got there, he was. So they dragged his body even further so that it couldn't be seen from the road. He was missing for 47 days 
days. Oh my gosh. He wasn't found until August 25th of 2002. It said that his body had been had decomposed so much that like he couldn't even be embalmed. So his family oh. wasn't able to have an open casket for him. So at first Christopher said he was not guilty, but then he withdrew his not guilty plea. And he was found guilty and sentenced to eight years for assisting a criminal with an enhancement of 12 years for being a habitual offender. So the thing, too, is that James's body was found six days after Sherry's body. I was about to say, when you said it was in August, I was like, holy shit. So Christopher's brother, his name is Benjamin, he pleaded guilty to assisting a criminal arson and unlawful movement of a body and was sentenced to six years in prison. I hope these people take anger management fucking lessons in prison. Well... Oh, gosh. Rodrigo isn't taking anger management lessons, but he did sign up for this paralegal course, and he files all the claims after that. So, I found, okay, and by all the, I mean two. So, he fancies himself uh, Aaron Brockovich now, and he filed a suit against, I, I don't even know who, against who, but basically the Department of Labor is who he filed a suit against. Okay. So he says that he was in this program operated by the Indiana Department of Corrections that was certified with the United States Department of Labor. And it was an apprenticeship under this coordinator. And it says her name and all, but who cares? Like, there's no sense in all of that. But this coordinator stopped the program. He says that it was a breach of contract that he had with the prison and her and the Department of Labor to be able to complete this course. So he files this claim to say, like, hey, y'all owe me because I wasn't allowed to complete this course, this apprenticeship. And, you know, I had this contract and all. But when he filed all of that, he never submitted the contract because there was no fucking contract. Right. So, I mean, it's just like a, I mean, you think your little mermaid sat in the contract? Like, what, <laughs> what yeah. contract? Yeah. And so, basically, the legal documents, because that's where I got basically all this information was, like, the appeals and all the actual legal documents. And it was like, while this could have happened, he didn't actually submit the contract. So, there could be a contract, but he didn't send it to us. So, from, you know, the legal mumbo jumbo, they're, like, tabling it for now. Then, he sued what I think is his child's maybe mom. Okay, so, possible baby mama this is all coming from Ron Rico, said that if you just plead guilty to Sherry's murder, because he was going to go on trial, but if he went to trial, he could have gotten the death penalty. So he ended up just pleading guilty so that he could get life and not the death penalty. So he says that she was like, okay, if you go ahead and plead guilty, then we'll do like a paternity test for her child And you won't have to pay for any of it, but you'll be able to get visitation. So he pled guilty, but she never had the paternity test. So he filed later when he was in jail to be like, hey, I need to get this testing. And the courts are like, okay, well, that'll be $666. He's like, no, 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 but she's supposed to pay it. And she's like, no, I'm not paying that. And they're like, well, we can't do the paternity test unless you pay. Yeah. So he was trying to sue, saying, like, I've been trying to get in touch with her to get her to pay for this paternity test. She said she would do it if I pled guilty. And then he was trying to get some, like, post-conviction relief if she would, like, for her to be like, yeah, I told him to plead guilty. That, And so he could say, she told me to plead guilty so that I could have my kid. That's why I pled guilty. So he was trying to say, like, mm-hmm. if you testify to this, and she's like, I, I don't fucking want any part of this anymore. So, sorry. Yeah, he should have called Mari Povich. Right? So he's filing a suit against her to be like, hey, get, you know, give me, give me my money kind of thing. And she's like, mm, no, nah, man, you missed the, like, it's past the limitation period. Like, we're oh done. Oh, my gosh. And the court was like, yeah, we agree. Oh, God. So that's thrown out. So, you know, maybe he should have stuck with the paralegal thing and learned a little bit more in his apprenticeship. Yeah. But, okay, so as of today, like, I'm on, like, the Indiana uh, State Inmate Lookup. Brett Marks is out of prison because, again, this happened in 2002. So we're 20 years out at this point. So these people have mostly, the ones who had sentences that ended have kind of served their time. So Brett Marks is out. Christine Johnston is out. 
Christopher um, Havis is scheduled for, well, the earliest he can be released is 2047. Rianne Kelly, the earliest that she can be released is 2033. And then Ronrico Hatch is in for life. Wow. Isn't that bizarro? Bonkers. Oh, gosh. With friends like these, like, I'm not saying what she, like, whatever happened didn't happen or whatever, but... That is very extreme. And and it tells you a lot about this group of friends that, like the five of them, that it was even an option to go meet someone unexpectedly after ambush someone after work, beat them up, take them to a secluded area, strip them and have them walk home naked for the sheer embarrassment of it. Like, because that, I mean, for that to be your plan. Uh Uh-huh. First of all, a plan like that with that many people, it's always going to go south because people are going to keep one up on each other and they're going to mm-hmm. keep getting more and more and it's it's going to result in death. Like it's going to. Yeah. I just, I mean, so that tells you enough about them that they thought that was a good idea. Right. And it also shows you this was not the first time. Yeah. I mean, not only had Christopher and Ronrico literally killed someone weeks before, Rianne had a previous conviction mm-hmm. of doing... Exactly what she said, air quotes, around the plan uh-huh. was for Sherry. Wow. And then it's like, I just feel so sorry for, like, Rodrigo and Christine's baby. I mean, yeah. their baby was, like, I think, like, four months old and was having to be raised by grandparents and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, how do you, you're raising your kid and you're like, be nice. And they're like, you literally killed somebody. Right. Because she flirted. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. fuck all of them. Wow. Wow. And there's a um, little memorial site for Sherry. And it's, she has her mom and this uncle that like write on it all the time oh, for her. Oh gosh. Bless it. I just feel, I mean, my heart just breaks for Sherry and her family. And she, I mean, she's 17. 17. Hanging out with some people that were older than her. I mean, not that much older, but older. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just stupid kid shit that yeah. turned to fucking murder. Like, who cares that she flirted with your boyfriend? Like, yeah. who cares? Yeah. Because you know what? Y'all are in prison, separate prisons probably. And y'all probably aren't together. No, not together. You probably can't even write each other if you wanted to. Yeah. So it's like, who cares? Because I'll tell you what. He's on fucking inmate.com probably getting some commissary getting some what i said it wrong i know (laughs) commissary (laughs) i was like wait (laughs) wrong emphasis there but you know what i mean literally not even that you put an n in it oh yeah (laughs) 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 but you know what i mean like oh yeah for sure over this that it's gonna not last like Y'all are going to prison. Like, he's already cheated on you. Uh Uh-huh. Also, like, who thought it wasn't going to end in murder? Like, you're taking this person out and doing all this stuff. Like, when she did it before, it was probably her and someone else or just her. Not, like you said, four other people. And, oh, like... Without a gun, too, the first time, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But also, if you think about it, this stopped Sherry's death... And their capture stopped probably a lot of other people from dying because uh, Ron Rico had just killed someone and then he was like quick to kill Sherry. Yeah. And then she had already done this traumatic like mm-hmm. shit before. And so she was doing it again. So no telling how many other people would have been their victims. Wow. Wow. Over nothing. Like, oh heartbreaking is what this story is is. it is because it's like well we say like over nothing and it's still something because it's all emotional and stuff but you took a life that is concrete end done it's final the shit y'all are arguing about not final because you were still with your boyfriend you were still you know like all of this you kicked her out of your house like you've done I, I don't know and it's like why and you can't even just say oh well they were drunk like uh they've all done this before yeah yeah this was not a oh we're drunk and we're making a terrible decision right wow i'm so glad that they did that amber alert and that that truck driver was vigilant enough to know mm-hmm. so 
Thank you so much for the suggestion. Yes, Brittany B., you were on it with this one. You made me, uh, it was like I was back in fucking grad school, <laughs> finding all these things. I was like, ooh, and this took me down this rabbit hole to this thing and this yeah. thing and this thing and this thing. And I was like, oh my God, 10 hours later. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It it didn't need all the, like... Beginning? Yeah, it because it was so... Like, whoa. I know. I just wish I had more information about Sherry as a person just because she was the victim. Like, I wish I had more, like, this is the type of person that she was and this is where she went to school. You know, I just wish I had more information on her because she is the victim. And we do, you know, these stories tend to kind of surround the the bad guys. And so I do want to highlight the victims as much as possible. Yeah. So I wish that I had a little bit more like that of her. But well, look, y'all, there are tons of ways that you can submit story recommendations. You can always send them to the email, but the best places are on the Facebook group. There's a suggestion box that you can just, you know, search suggestion box. Um, if you're in Patreon, you can always send it in Discord or, you know, on the Facebook group. However, just tag us. Email us all the things, but more importantly, remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.